All right, welcome to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. We've got a special episode today because uh, Caroline, who I have with me as usual this evening. Hello, Caroline. Hey. We've got an interview up? you had to get to with uh, Ken Palm. Yeah, hard-hitting questions. All Why right. is the Big Ten so bad? I mean, good or bad, or are bad they? Bad or good. Why yeah. is the Big Bad so ten? Um, <laughs> no, it was, yeah, nice chat with Ken Palmer. He's delightful. A repeat. Um, visitor to yeah. our, our podcast our little but the podcast. first time i got to talk to him so oh, it's a nice little balance yeah, yeah. made up for ago. missing the first one by so now i just have to get joe harris on the podcast because that's the other one i missed so. no that was my favorite of the podcast never forget <laughs> <laughs> paul not to be left out sorry paul you're here as well tip yeah. <laughs> but before we get to that interview we want to uh, certainly talk about some of these big W's that the basketball team has brought home. I don't want, we don't want to stretch this out too long because the interview's a good one. And uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk about the lacrosse team, but uh, they're doing pretty well, both of the, the teams. So let, let, let's talk, let's spend the time we do have talking about the men's basketball team and their dominating victory over the Hokies. <laughs> and then <laughs> just as dominating victory over I, uh, the Blue Devils. I, I'm not saying that in a, a sarcastic tongue-in-cheek way. It's, it's just fun to, uh, to see us sweep the Hokies and everything these days. And uh, they went into Blacksburg. They held them to 11 points for a half. And then Delightful. they held them to not quite 11 points in the second half, but they walked out not of there so much. with the W... I, you know, it's hard to rank all these moments, but this Kihei game winning three uh, in Blacksburg has to go up there in these in these Tony Bennett game winning shots and plays and things like that. I don't know. I haven't like jotted down my top 10 or anything. But No, I thought yeah. we were doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be up there. It was it was a pretty huge, uh, pretty cool thing for, for our, our diminutive point guard um <laughs> i did just do that whole ranking i guess i should like just throw that update it throw it in there because we did i did a ranking of the top five when um tomas which is now back to tomas yes like pierce and i've been saying you the whole heard time, it here first it was all dave kane confirms that it is tomas <laughs> um that you know did the rankings and it just was such a big shot for several reasons obviously blowing a big lead stinks <laughs> um, but part of that was also I don't necessarily think that Virginia Virginia's offense actually they were almost identical the second half <laughs> so mm-hmm. points scored wise so it wasn't necessarily that Virginia did anything all that dramatically different it just that Virginia Tech started hitting shots and they're a good three point shooting team when they hit them um, so you know they had I think three or four yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it everyone a good three point shooting team when they hit them. <laughs> uh yes um they're streaky and sometimes those yes. streaks are good streaks yes not, that's not it that's it so, nailed it yeah, i feel like uh, i think there were three or four possessions in a row where they hit threes and they you know a couple were open like the defense made mistakes and guys got open or long rebound or whatever uh but they also had ones where you know hand in the face and i guess that's what we're doing they're just, now they're, they're making just making threes yeah, yeah. so uh, to come back not only that but lose the lead get it right back, stay in it. That's the difference between the team now and obviously the team in November or December. Sure. But also you look at what I really, really, really love about Kihei's three, besides the fact that it, you know, won the game. Yeah, is <laughs> the fact that, that that little, that play itself shows how much he's grown and how much Virginia has developed over the season because you look at the difference between what he did there and what he did against 
UNC and what he did against Florida State. We can put that in there too, late against Florida State at home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's shown the ability. Again, a lot of this comes down to Tomas hitting threes, open things up a little bit. So Kihei has a little bit more space to operate. Against UNC, he hesitated, drove the lane, drove all the way through, and then dished it out, right? Mm-hmm. Against Virginia Tech, he made that hesitation step, got Cone, the defender, thinking he was going to drive the lane again, step back and buries the three. So it took the, you know, he has the wherewithal, he understands what's going on. And that's the stuff that you look big picture that this team really is developing, really is getting smarter, really is being able to finish plays late. And I think you also see that a little bit, maybe it's some free throws more uh, against Duke, but that was a more defensively, but they got shots when they needed to on offense. Um, and there's been guys that have stepped up at various times with Diakite, Kihei, sure. you know, Tomas, Key, all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's time to start thinking about Kihei as potentially another example of of the Mike Curtis effect um, that we've you know we've talked about it mostly with big guys. You look at Jack Salt's physique and how that how much that changed over over four years. Um, you, you know, obviously we, we point to things like the, the Darian Atkins flat footed block. You know, the the big the big guys are where we t- where we tend to focus on on Mike Curtis's strength development. Mm-hmm. But look at the difference in Kihei's shot mechanics this year from last year. Mm-hmm. Last year it looked like a trebuchet being launched launched off of a raft, and this year it looks like a basketball shot. And I think that that's a that's a big difference in I think his confidence. Yeah, I, I, maybe speaking to his confidence is 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 not you know, the right way to look at it. But regardless, it, it looks like a more reliable shot. It looks like there are fewer sure. moving pieces he has to put into getting the ball all the way to the net. Yeah, I'm um, still trying to picture a trebuchet on a rep, what that was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the point is. It's, it doesn't uh, sound successful. <laughs> yeah, not very accurate. We'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Um, you don't get a lot of I know leverage what you mean. on it. It's not, it's not as much of the, um, the clear, full-body endeavor. I right. mean, obviously, everyone was... shoots with their legs, but he looked like he was shooting with every piece and ounce. <laughs> yeah, last year, it was, it was sort of coming back and almost right. heaving it off of his shoulder, whereas this year, it's, I think it's, it's more elevated over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, so a combination of shooting mechanic, coaching, and strength, strength and conditioning development, uh, I think, are, are really contributing to Kihei having that shot, which then him being more reliable and more consistent as an outside shooter lets him do all of the things, the blow-bys, the, the tying defense and the knots, um, to then dump it off inside or, or kick it out to, to one of the guys who are suddenly, hopefully, becoming hotter outside shooters. Yeah, I mean, the, the outside shooting sort of um, fluctuated, uh, you know, to some degree for the last few games. But the consistent thing um, when it's not there is they're still hanging in these close games and they're fin- finding ways to, to win these close games. I mean, obviously, this whole streak has been close games and close games that they've won. Um, and you know the Louisville loss was a close game uh, towards the end uh, there as well. So yeah, the, the the growth is there. It's been written about you know the past couple of weeks and in all of our favorite blogs and newspapers for sure. But <laughs> and some of our not favorite ones. <laughs> right, right. But it it really uh, is is easy to see uh, the difference uh, between a month ago or or the beginning of season and now, and that obviously bodes well for uh, postseason play. Um, but there are a I couple. Think, yeah, I was just saying, I think it's funny. So I think Bennett Conlon had the tweet after the Duke game that the 10 games, you know, where they're nine out of 10, the one loss coming against Louisville. Mm. Um, the point differential has been plus 31, which is 3.1 points per game. So obviously living a bit on the edge, right. but part of it, it's weird. You know, some people look, 
is this team different than two months ago? Absolutely. Is this team now like, don't disrespect us? We're blah, blah, like, mm, I'm not quite there. I think some, you know, when people oh, look yeah. at the team from the outside <laughs> or fans or media, they say, I think the, people were potentially a little bit too hard on Virginia during the three game losing streak. Just careful. Don't swing. And I don't want this to sound like, you know, whatever. don't swing too far the other way. Like they're world beaters now. Right. Right. Because this team still has a very slim margin of error. I think we've seen that there's still been a few turnover situations that need to be, I think people would still like to fix some turnover stuff. There's still improvements to be made shooting, but like we talked about, you can see people fitting into the roles better. You can see players getting more comfortable. Sure. They're hitting more shots. And I, I actually, you know, you're starting to see some of the stuff, but I, I think you have to, I think this is a two man race for ACC coach of the year right now between Tony Bennett and Leonard Hamilton. And honestly, I don't know. Look and Leonard Hamilton look is one of those probably should have won it a couple times in this stretch, but hasn't type mm. player coaches. But I don't know. This might be one of the most, if not the most impressive coaching jobs that Tony Bennett has done. Well, the athletic called it a, a masterpiece, you know, I a mean, potential masterpiece. Yeah. If you get, there was a tweet that I thought was so funny. It was just like, if you, you could give Tony Bennett five guys and pick, pick out two from Harris Teeter, one from a YMCA, you know, homeless guy and someone else. And they, he could coach them to the top half of the league. Like, this team has no business. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lord, like, I, I think, think it might need at least like target. one guy who knows. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, if you looked at this team, like the makeup and where they were back and, you know, after losing to Syracuse and, you know, like this team would have no business still being in play for a share of the ACC title. And yet right, here they are. Right. And that, there's a testament to how hard the guys have worked, what coach Bennett has done and how they've settled into some of these roles And granted knock on wood, everyone's a little bit healthier than they were maybe back in that stretch, but sure. it's tough to win close games. Do you want to be in close games all the time? Absolutely not. My heart can't take it. But fact <laughs> remains, they are the only ACC team that has been in every single game. Duke hasn't done that. Carolina certainly hasn't done that. Louisville's got blown out. Florida mm -hmm. State has been dominated by teams. So I think that there's something to be said that, yes, while the wins are close and the losses are close, like they're the only team that's been close yeah. throughout it. Well, and your margin of, of error uh, point is, is certainly reflected in those rankings um, that we've been uh, criticizing or, or anchored by mainly the net ranking. I know you get into this in the interview in a minute, so I don't want you to spoil all of that. But, I mean, that really does clearly tie into a team that, that, that can win 9 out of 10 and not go up very much in the net. And Duke can just lose every game they play and they don't go down very much. Yeah. It, it is of funny it, that and, it's this season where we don't like these metrics yeah, I know, right? usually they favor the who's. And a lot of that is the, um, and like I said, we talk a little bit about it, less about the net, more about Ken Palm itself, right, obviously, right, but right. net, it, Ken Palm is used by the net. Mm -hmm. And what people I think are, what is hurting Virginia, I should say, is the strength of the ACC or strength of schedule metrics. Mm -hmm. The close wins, you get more credit, quote unquote, you know, if you will, for decisive victories which is what it is i don't think that it's particularly a great <laughs> metric since you don't win the ncaa tournament only if you win by 10 points or more like right, right. but um and also it has a predictive element to it which is i think what's in these close games the idea is anything can happen and therefore virginia is not really selling themselves as this team that's like really good and winning games yeah, yeah. 
And so therefore when you have like a Minnesota or Purdue that blows people out or loses by a ton, they're getting more favorable stuff because of that. And also the big 10 is building them up. So it, it's got this predictive factor. That's why Duke stings, but like where it is kind of, because they think that Duke will then continue to win games because they've had more decisive victories. It's kind of, that's not the whole thing, but that's a, that's a piece of it. Interesting. Yeah. The other, not, not to take any, any, uh, no, go for it. Any views away from, from Ken, but um, Bart Torvik's site also allows you to break out um, just by time period. And so even, I've, I've, there's been a lot of commentary of like, oh, well, if, if the, you know, part of why we're so low in Ken Palm and Ned is that it's a season long look. But if you look over the, just the last couple of months, it's been a lot, hot, a lot hotter. I did that this morning on Torvik going back to just uh, January 18th with after the the at the after that three game losing streak in the ACC just accounting for that period UVA's offensive efficiency is still only 129th and the defense mm-hmm. is is actually has got a lot worse that mm-hmm. early in the season UVA was only as good as it was because the defense was historically efficient mm-hmm. um and as the defense came back down to earth fell actually uh, out of the top five, heaven profane. <gasps> oh my God, no! I know. All the nice stuff I say about Tony Bennett, I take it back. I know. So, I mean, as a result, even even just looking at the hottest, even just looking at that winning the nine out of 10, uh, Virginia wasn't any better than about 35 or 36 because – as, we, as we've all been saying, it's close games, um, and and the offense still isn't terribly efficient, uh, and it came a little bit at the expense of that high-end high defense. Yeah, um, it, it'll be curious. To, I'm curious to see how, uh, once the competition gets into postseason play, um, how that sort of, I don't know, the variance in, in this team's strengths um, jumps around, because especially in, the, in Greensboro, you know, back-to-back-to-back, games potentially if if they win them it's still so remarkable to me how it's like all right now it's your turn to be the guy tonight and it's not cycling between the two stars or the big three or things like that which is totally normal it seems to be like the whole rotation of this is going to be somebody's game has a night which i guess segues into i don't want to forget to talk about the jay huff game i mean we gotta refer to this duke win um the first i think duke uh, victory over Duke in the JPJ since that Joey Buckets uh, yep, 2013. Game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, all of them chipped in for sure, and there were a lot of big plays all around, but none bigger than than the collection of plays that Jay Huff made. Uh, blocks, alley-oop dunks, a, a standing reverse dunk. That, <laughs> that was maybe my favorite one. Um, you know, friend friend of the podcast Garrett said to me, "There are not many humans that can do that." <laughs> you know, it, it he is. kind of. There was a moment where you kind of saw him holding the ball and thinking, like yeah, yeah. it was real brief, and he's like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> And just Perhaps like, I'll like just almost, almost flat foot. Yeah, yeah almost flat footed. And he was like, huh, unless you Trey Jones is right in front of me. And I've got this. Wait, have, I, have I been this tall the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> and part, like, look, and there were some really, I also want to point just real quick, throw out, Walter Tensai is a very good passer. Like, he has made, he obviously everyone has turnovers and makes mistakes and all that stuff, but he has really gotten, that's something that I've started to notice is he's really gotten great with the accuracy and the timing and he's knowing. confident. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, yeah. His his alley oop patch pass in transition when they broke the press yeah, when Duke yeah. was really nice. Um, but yeah, you saw a little bit of everything from Jay. He had six blocks in the first half, which matched his career high. So that's not bad, not too shabby. 
um two i think one or two of which i don't know what they gave him credit for but poor jack white man that he just was like oh you're gonna try and go up no and he didn't even again didn't even leave his feet and it was like his <laughs> hand was out in front of him but i don't know you know he doesn't like to play up the i'm from durham duke didn't recruit me like i don't know that that was you know he grew up watching them forever, like but he, he does play it. well yeah. <laughs> he does play well and it also could be like you know maybe it's his family's around because like you're whatever you like yeah. but uh there's no denying that he definitely plays well against duke and mm-hmm. you know he hit and long i thought it was a i thought it was a three but i guess his giant feet one of them was on the line but you know starts with a shot from range and then the splitting of the defense and simultaneously ending matthew hurt and alex o'connell on one play was just delightful <laughs> and it was kind of on press where you could kind of feel all of us were like oh man that was the coolest thing that he's gonna do all game and then like the next dunk is the alley-oop where he cocks it behind his head and then we're like oh my god this is the coolest thing he's gonna do all game and then he starts swatting the hell out of everything that last <laughs> play um vernon carey was so open oh yeah yeah, yeah. it was a really nice pass from they closed on him and perfectly yeah and the initial close for mamadi and tomas was perfect they mm-hmm. forced a little fake they didn't bite on the fake they didn't foul right. and that allowed jay to recover from that hedge and be in the perfect position to block that 10th shot and get the rebound um which was just huge so i, I just i still can't believe that whole sequence because that was just just unbelievable that's why i can't believe it, was it, big it was time. Unbelievable. absolutely paul what gets you more excited than uh or, or which gets you more excited alley-oops or big blocks uh when the block wins the game definitely the block <laughs> got me pretty excited uh but so I, alley-oop I like, to win the game would be something <laughs> yeah right a block like a block that leads to a transition alley-oop <laughs> the other end would be you know ecstasy but uh i liked jay's um sort of quip in the but both tony's quip and then jay picking up on it in, in his remarks after the game that well ralph had 12 so it's not that cool <laughs> it's not that cool um, he did he'd perked up when we told him it was the most by a virginia player in an acc game so both of ralph's were non-con <laughs> so he was like oh well that's neat and then he said he was going to go back and rewatch the tape to make sure that all the rebounds were correct counted properly so to see if he had yeah, the triple true. double True, true. Yeah, I, I I like that this is this is yet another of those ridiculous Ralph Sampson block stats that we've we've already talked about the, <laughs> the career blowout that that Mamadi is now finding himself in distant second four. But the fact that the single game top five is Ralph Ralph J Ralph Ralph is right. awesome. <laughs> and then yeah. some more Ralphs. I think. Yeah. <laughs> like Chris Alexander's like hello, like and then it's like Ralph 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 Ralph. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and for him to be, it was it's always cool. Like. Like for him to be there, that was neat too. You know, what I mean, like have Ralph and Ralph in the house for oh, yeah. it. Just I mean, the crowd the, was so the crowd was so good, so loud. And there, there didn't feel like there were very many pockets of Duke fans. You know, a lot of times, no. like there's yeah. always going to be like fans here or there. Like it was yeah. full on Virginia minus that section behind the bench. Yeah, you know, and it was such a fun. It was. I thought it was a great game. You know, we're back in this again, and I know I shouldn't let people like I shouldn't see stuff on the internet, whatever. But people were like, "Why would anyone want to play that style? Like games in the fifties." So well, that boring. was a funny Twitter feed um, with all the Man, that guy players. Got, yeah. yeah, that guy got roasted. Ty Jerome. <laughs> um, but the idea that a game can't—you know—I'm 
are all of this season's games exciting? Absolutely not. But the fact that a game is played in the 50s doesn't mean that it's not exciting. Like, if right. you didn't watch that game, if you watched that game and didn't think that that was a really thrilling, like, an exciting basketball game, right, right. I don't know what you were watching. Um, and so it's just kind of like they – Duke's defense, I thought, played really well. I thought, you know, Duke can't survive – just getting production from Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. Like this is just a side yeah, story. Thing. Like, yeah. They had 10 guys play and the eight people not named Vernon Carey and Trey Jones combined to score 16 points. Like you can't, I mean, we've talked about Virginia getting the third or fourth guy or whatever. Virginia's had consistently, you know, some games with five guys in double figures. Like that's, they yeah. need that. They have to do that. Um, and Duke shows you why you can't just have a couple guys scoring 20 or 17 or whatever. Um, and so I just thought it was, that game was huge. And like we said, it's like they're, so they've got Miami next yep. on the road Louisville. and then close out with Louisville. They win both and Florida state drops one and they tie for first. And that's just silly, dumb, silly. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, who would have ever, yeah. ever thought <laughs> <laughs> earlier this you know, season, they started four March, and four and we're March. all like, well, may they might be able to still hang in there for the fourth uh, seed in the conference. And they, I don't know. even know that I was looking at that at that point. You know what I mean? Like, well, then I just think that was like a reality. Right. That was, that was sort of the, the optimistic right. goal was to try and get back into that discussion. And now that's locked in. I mean, granted, there's still, you know, Duke's technically a, a game or a half game ahead now because they played NC State last night. Um, well, and the Hoos could easily lose in Miami. You know, absolutely. like you said, like they, they, there hasn't absolutely. been a blowout. So um, Miami's not one of the upper echelon teams, but it's a road game in conference, and they've needed. Chris Likes is tough. We yeah. all know this. You know, they've got DJ Vasilovich, who's probably underrated as one of the better shooters in the conference. Um, and that's one of those, you know, what beats the back line? A good shooter. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they've got Isaiah Wong. We talked about him before. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's just that performance against Duke. It's hard not to be impressed with how of they course. how they perform. Yeah. I'm Absolutely. I'm I'm more interested in how the next two games affect NCAA tournament seeding. It's it's nice to not yeah. be thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. oh bubble or not. Like it, it's right. fairly unanimous that Virginia's in at this point. Yeah. But right now, sitting on that eight nine seed line, <laughs> I either I either <laughs> want them to win both games and move up to a six or a seven or lose both games and drop down to a 10 or 11 so that assuming you can get a win in the first round, your second round isn't against one of those four teams. that's really been so dominant over the Mm -hmm. past two months. Um, Yeah. I think a, a, a seven seed Virginia could essentially be playing in the, on the second weekend. Um, Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Especially how they've played over the last month or so. I agree. And, uh, for me, and I, I think I took a little bit of flack online for saying this. As long I know, as long as one, you don't want to play in the eight nine games. That's about as evenly matched as you're going to get in these things. That, you know, that's how they're set up. We get that, no doubt. Well, one sixteen is pretty even too. <laughs> yeah. well, too soon? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but you look at. I just don't want Virginia to play Kansas. Like, and I know, like anything yeah, can happen. Kansas looks like the best team in the country. Yeah. When you have a guy like I've watched so much college basketball this season, like I don't know as a bouquet is a cheat code. Like <laughs> I don't know what you do with him. If you're Virginia, Kafaro only has five fouls. Like, I don't know what you do. Like, um, and, and Dotson's such a good shooter. And so anyway, that's like my, but I agree with you, Paul. Like I'd love to see 
moving up to that six, seven. I think right now, honestly, looking at the other eights, nines, and then looking at the six, seven seed lines, Grant, again, like we said, like the, everything's been close, but I look at those six, seven lines and I feel confident. I felt confident about whatever the last Lenardi one was that Virginia could actually beat like seven of the eight where I would be like, yeah, I'd probably right. pick, you know, um, and none of them want to see Virginia there. No, That's not at all. Sure. Not and so I look at, does, yeah, I don't think if they can beat Louisville and win a game in the ACC tournament, I think that they could probably move up to that seven line. Obviously none of this is in a vacuum. Right. Um, so it all depends on like what those teams that are on the six and seven line do. So root against them, but you know, there are options still to improve the seed yeah. line. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back um, next week, of course, to talk about uh, the, the ACC and, and more of the national landscape. But I want to make sure we have enough time here uh, to get to your interview, Caroline. So uh, let's jump into it. All right, we're excited to be joined this week by a very special guest. He's actually a return to the Streaking Alarm podcast. Um, none other than Ken Pomeroy of the Ken Pomeroy analytic rankings for basketball ken how are you i'm doing great caroline thanks for having me on of course we're always excited about virginia fans uh love their analytics and their numbers maybe not as much this season question mark <laughs> um but we can get into all that this season's kind of wild um where do you fall on the everybody's terrible uh <laughs> <laughs> is that what's happening here or is are we overreacting yeah that might be a little bit of an exaggeration uh, I mean, certainly Kansas is putting together the type of profile that would indicate they are uh, at least among top teams in the country are pretty similar to previous seasons. Maybe not quite as strong, but, um, you know, not the weakest ever or anything like that. So once you get past them, that it does become kind of obvious that this year's top teams are not as strong as, as previous seasons, you know, on an average basis, I guess you could say. I think we could find a season or two where teams were weaker, but there's no doubt that the, the title of college basketball is a little bit weaker than previous years, but I just don't think that gap is uh, enormous or anything like that. So who are your, I mean, do you follow pretty religiously to like, if you, if I ask you that's three or, you know, like how you'd break your tears out, are you going to like basically mimic what's on KenPomeroy.com? How does that work for you personally? <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd probably be pretty similar. Uh, you know, I look at that, I look at, uh, betting market information, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I do think Kansas is uh, a step ahead of everybody else right now. I mean, I think if you just watch them from game to game, you'd come to that conclusion. But um, just looking at the hard numbers, um, you come to that conclusion as well. And then there's kind of a, a pack trailing them that, you know, includes Baylor and Gonzaga and Duke. And, you know, you might throw, like, Michigan State in there. You might even throw, like, Arizona in there. There's, there's a couple of teams that obviously have not racked up a stellar record. But, um, their losses have generally been close and they play really tough schedules and better seem to still like them. So that does hold some sway with me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I guess those would be, those would be my two tiers, Kansas and maybe a group of five or six behind them. Oh, okay. So you've definitely like Kansas has far and above, even though both games with Baylor have been relatively close, you'd say Kansas in your estimation has developed or created more of a resume that stands out above everybody else enough that they're on their own tier. Yeah, I think, I mean, we have to qualify that. Like, it's not like Kansas is unbeatable or anything like that. And, I mean, sure. if they play uh, whoever you think the second-best team is on a neutral court, they're probably, like, a three- or four-point favorite or something like that. So it's not necessarily um, a huge gap. But, 
it's a gap that exists. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Baylor obviously played a great game against them um, at Kansas and uh, you know, Baylor's a good team as well. So nobody's on, you know, invincible, but, I, but, I, but Kansas, I feel like, yeah, in general, I, I was going to hitch my wagon to one team. <laughs> Throw <game>. your pick. <laughs> Um, do you, have you noticed any weird trends this season in particular that might be, you know, something that's has stuck out this year that might be why people are seeing some of the, you know, craziness, if you will, or the wackiness or just kind of the free for all that feels like this season is. The, the main trend is just that offense is down pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I think people have noticed that, uh, you know, it's not a huge drop, but you know, roughly three points per 100 possessions, something like that, um, partly due to the three-point line moving back and maybe also due to officials kind of not enforcing freedom of movement as strictly as they have in past seasons. Yeah. But I generally think it's more the three-point line than any relaxed. Because that was going to be – yeah, so that was going to be another question is how much – because it could be purely coincidental or things that are happening all the same time when it comes to – this I think people generally agree that across the board the talent level is down a little bit just because the fact that you don't have you know the Zion Williamson's these really huge name players or the you know the incoming freshman class is a little bit weaker you don't have necessarily these guys like John Morant um I mean there's a few players obviously that you can highlight across the country but it doesn't feel like there's a star power that was there last season but also like the combination of moving the three-point line back the you know shot clock being reset to 20 um I felt it just like I just felt like there was less or there were fewer points being scored so I'm glad I don't feel completely crazy about that now <laughs> right yeah there's there's been a lot of things going on where um you know I think last year there were more players leaving you know going professional than mm-hmm. before obviously the two-way contract situation in the NBA has sort of incentivized the players that um may not get drafted to still go pro and, and maybe they'll get a, a much better chance of getting an NBA contract now than they did before. Yeah. This year's incoming class, as you mentioned, weaker. You obviously have the, you know, the James Wiseman situation where he hasn't really even played and Melo Ball didn't play college basketball. Yeah. Paul Anthony was hurt most of the year. So that has been a factor. You know, the best players from the class have gone to kind of some oddball locations as well. Like Anthony Edwards uh, yeah, I mean, in Georgia. Are, yeah, right. <laughs> they showed like this crazy highlight dunk, and I was like, oh man, I got to check out. And I like logged into ESPN to check the score because I was like out and about. I forgot what I was doing. It was, I think it was a Saturday game, but they were still losing to Vanderbilt. And I was kind of like, I don't mean to be the no fun police. Like, yes, I love fun dunks, but the way that they like highlight these things. And then I looked it up and I was like, man, I don't really care about this like athletic dunk when y'all are losing by seven at home to. Or whatever, losing my seven to a Vanderbilt team that has barely beaten any SEC competition in two two seasons. Yeah, that's, maybe a, that's a tough sell. Yeah, maybe I am the fun police. I don't know. <laughs> um, what? So for me personally, and this is this is just like like I said, Virginia fans have followed um, your ranking for a long time. A lot of times, your rankings valued what Virginia was doing way before the majority of people valued what Virginia was doing. So it was a nice place for them to point. When I look now, I go to the website religiously and like check, and it became kind of like a validation for the eye test for me, where I was like, I think this team's undervalued, and I'd check where they were, yada, 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 and I was like, okay, good, I see that that matches what I'm seeing. This season, to me, has felt 
like the eye test for the first time isn't matching with what I'm seeing numbers wise. So like when I look at like a 500 record Purdue or Minnesota, and I'm not meaning to pick on the big 10, but I actually want to get more into the big 10 in a second, or this might all tie in, but what is it about this season that might be affecting like where I'm seeing performance on the court versus like Ohio state to me is not a top 12, you know, top 15 team or Arizona, you know, like I've watched some Arizona and I'm like, I don't know if I buy them as one of the best teams, but I look at the numbers and obviously they speak for themselves. So where am I losing something in translation here? Well, first it's important to understand that I'm not trying to rank teams by necessarily how good their season has been or how good a resume has been. Sure. Or anything like yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to predict outcomes and set an expectation. And so uh, I think it is tough for people to comprehend that a team like Purdue, who you know, obviously is 500, um, for instance, when they play Indiana this week, and maybe Indiana at home, and Indiana's close to a surefire tournament team at this point, uh, but Purdue will be favored in that game, probably by four or five, six points, something like that. And uh, I mean, I don't know if Purdue will win or not, but um, but it would be uh, a bad prediction if you were to say, well, Indiana has – much better records so uh you know they should be favored so that's strictly what i'm concerned about and uh the big 10 has been kind of an odd case this year because they have 12 yeah. really good teams so you know you knew there was going to be two or three teams that ended up with certainly poor conference records that still would be ranked pretty high assuming that they weren't getting blown out on a regular basis and purdue actually is you know gets blown out on occasion, but they also lay some, some pretty good lickings on people too. Yeah, so, uh, they're so weird to me. And I think that's why they stand out so much because I've watched them play. Obviously, you know, they handed Virginia a pretty big L there, you know, Virginia without Braxton Key and also facing the wrath of a very angry uh, <laughs> post-Elite 8 Purdue team, uh, which is understandable. I think a lot of Virginia fans thought they might catch it on the chin <laughs> in that one. But then you go, you look and you know, what was it against Illinois? They scored 67 points or 37 points. You're kind of like what team is this with how much does early or non-com I know that you have stuff for the for the mathematics of it all um forgive me I was a sociology major um that <laughs> you factor in obviously some of last season because you have to get enough data to do projections and that sort of stuff also how does that filter how much does early season like November basketball affect what people might be seeing now in February when it comes to where the rankings are so yeah, the start of the season, obviously, I began with some preseason ratings, and those uh, are pretty pretty useful. I know I know they're they're controversial in some sense, but you know, again, <laughs> if you want to make predictions, uh, you can't start from zero. You can't sure. just assume everybody's equal. <laughs> that would be a very bad prediction early in the season. We kind of have some idea of who's good. So uh, so that's how uh, things start, and uh, those preseason ratings do carry weight through most of the season. But by now, they're they've been completely eliminated, and uh, all the data is based on this season. Uh, so to, to answer your question. Uh, every game gets a little bit more uh, has a little bit more importance than the previous game in, in my system. So okay. those November games still matter. Yeah, and uh, they're especially useful because they're non conference games. And obviously, you know, we haven't really seen Big Ten teams play out of conference for a couple of months now. Right. So uh, in order to judge conference strength, we kind of have to use those November and December games, which is uh, not optimal, but it's the way the sport works. But uh, but the more recent games do matter more. So okay. You know, if, if Purdue loses to Indiana by 25 points, they'll get they'll get dinged significantly. But again, they're what 25th or something in my system this morning. So, uh, you know, they're not going to be uh, number 100 after that game. You know, they'll, sure. they'll get knocked down a few pegs, but not a lot. It's, you know, it's you are looking at the entire body of work, and so 
the ugly game against Illinois is offset by the win over Virginia or crushing Michigan State or crushing Iowa. You know, those, those sure. things matter as well. How does it factor in? Sorry, this is like complete, you know, talking to me like I'm a, t- tell me, tell me like I'm a five-year-old. Um, but like when you factor in like what North Carolina did this season or is doing this season, um, when, so, you know, Ohio, State's get, Ohio State gets that big non-conference win. How much does that bolster the Big Ten and then change the numbers when it comes to looking at the Big Ten as a whole? And therefore, when Indiana and Purdue play each other, it gets a little bit more, you know, street cred, if you will, because the Big Ten has a, a better strength of schedule. You know, like the image of the conference is bolstered by a win like that that maybe down the road looks like it's, oh, maybe not that impressive. Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like that's more of a problem uh, in like the AP poll or kind of uh, other popularity contests than it is in my system because my system basically treats North Carolina, they're ranked 91st right now, so it treats North Carolina as the 91st best team and that win uh, as a win over the 91st best team, which um, obviously at the time it was treated as a much more prestigious win and, uh, you know, really boosted Ohio State stock in a way that maybe it shouldn't have been knowing what we know now. But we should point out too that Cole Anthony was available for that game. He did play in sure. that game. And so yeah. I don't know what that version of North Carolina is. It's not really not great, <laughs> but maybe it's the 50th best team in the country or something. Sure. And, um, so Ohio State might be actually getting kind of unfairly penalized a bit because we're, <laughs> we're using a, a version of North Carolina that was missing Cole Anthony for, for a dozen games or whatever. Yeah, and Virginia fans are like, hey, we played him with Cole Anthony both times. Can we make this a better win? Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's something I think about. Like, I do think a – really good system would account for that and I've kind of you know tinkered around with those kind of things it's a very difficult project but I think oh I bet 20 30 years from now people will be looking back on like how primitive our systems are now and (laughs) one of the things that'll just be a no-brainer is that they'll have the ability to kind of account for you know which person now was playing in which game yeah and like 15 years it'll just be like a toggle switch like just deselect the people that were playing and and (laughs) yeah exactly you can just simulate it for Virginia the offense feels well if it's felt pretty bad at times so I'm gonna lie <laughs> it feels like it's getting better how can Virginia fans like where should you expect you know like right now I think they're at like 214 or something like that um yeah. you know it was all the way up in the 250s at one point is the offense like how can you account for you know well to 10 side deciding to like make some threes where <laughs> you know like they've right. clearly looked more comfortable and looks better what can you tell Virginia fans to maybe make them feel a little bit better about that 214 <laughs> offensive rating than where they were before? Uh, well, and yes, I know I'm asking a hokey to like say nice things about Virginia's offense. <laughs> no, I'm more than willing to say nice things about Virginia where it's warranted, but uh, this is a little bit more challenging. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will give them credit. They have, they have moved into uh, out of last place in the ACC and off. Yeah. yeah. It's a big move, big move. They did lose to the, that's in last place now but <laughs> <laughs> true. yeah I mean they barely jumped ahead of Boston College but they are yeah. there uh, I, yeah I mean obviously you know you look at very recent play and you can have some level of optimism I mean the, the Louisville game actually was one of the best you know offensive games probably a team has had yeah in ACC play given the competition it wasn't the best game because Louisville you know had, a better game <laughs> had the best night. game yeah <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but still, you know, uh, that was encouraging. Even you know the BC performance was encouraging. I mean, obviously, as you pointed out, uh, they're getting better three point shooting. Uh, so yeah, they're tenth now, which is whew, yeah. in the ACC. I mean, they're shooting on up, man. <laughs> 
I think, you know, one other thing I've learned from doing preseason ratings is that when you see a team with just a huge imbalance in the numbers in terms of defense and offense, that mm-hmm. going forward, they t- those things tend to converge. So, yeah. like, I don't uh, – Virginia's offense ranked 214. Going forward, maybe I would suggest they could be, like, 150 or something oh man yeah. Yeah, that'd be cause for a party well, on the flip side like again those <laughs> things converge like the yeah. defense is probably not four that'll probably be like you know ninth or something i don't know how the math works out on that but uh Tyler so Fire i do think Bennett. the offense is probably <laughs> undervalued in my system but the team as a whole i think is take pretty close you know at 48 yeah. and like maybe they're slightly underrated but i think you know what people don't get, you know, they, they keep winning games, obviously, but they're winning games like almost exactly as the system system is predicting, you know, like yeah. it predicted a three point win for Pitt and they won by three. And I, I don't know what they predict for BC, but you know, winning it by 13 at home over BC is not like a huge accomplishment. You know, the, the North Carolina game was a coin flip. Uh, yep. The Notre Dame game, they were, you know, they obviously didn't win by as much as the system predicted. So, uh, so overall, even though they're winning games, the ACC is really down this year and uh, 48th is probably about where, where Virginia deserves to be. When you look, you know, they've been a bit of, you know, people always ask you about the defense with Virginia, which is fair. So I'm going to get one of those in too. But um, do you kind of look at it sometimes, especially earlier this season when they had the number one defense and like that offense that was in the 200s and just kind of like shake your head (laughs) the way that like it shouldn't work out that way, right? Like you look at the records of the other teams with similar profiles offensively um, and what their records were. And I just always thought it was so just like absolutely bonkers and like what, like, how does Bennett make that work? <laughs> yeah, they're they're a fascinating case. I mean, that's where I think the numbers really make make things more interesting. I think if you yeah. just have, like if you're not a Virginia fan and you have to watch them, you're like, well, I can't watch this. But, <laughs> uh, once you see the numbers, you're like, well, I have to watch this. I have to see how this works. And uh, it's actually still the case that they have the worst they have a worse ranked offense than Houston Baptist, which Houston Baptist is ranked 343 overall because their defense is the worst in the country but yeah. uh, it's kind of funny that uh, a team that is looking like it'll get into the tournament has a worse offense than you know one of the worst the, teams in the country the one but, of the worst uh, teams obviously it's, it's worked so uh, it's it's uh, definitely a, an interesting experiment going on there it's nice because the left-hand column with the offense side has like slowly lightened over the past <laughs> right. like two weeks so it's not quite as like murder scene red as it was <laughs> a few weeks ago so that's nice it's nice for me personally as I go do like pregame stuff I'm like oh look that the three-point percentage is no longer in the 20s oh that's delightful um a couple of <laughs> real quick things when you look at a net you know, it's all the rage now when people are talking about, like, well, one, they have completely absorbed Ken Palm into things, and which is great. I think that's important and helpful and not just whatever kind of crazy making up they're doing before. But um, you think the selection process is improving? What's your take on the net and, and how they're assessing teams, especially on the quote-unquote historically weak bubble that we have every year? <laughs> right. Uh... So I think it is improving. I think the net is a better foundation for identifying like the quality of your resume. Like obviously the net itself is not a, a resume measure, but uh, just knowing that, you know, if you beat team ranked X in the net, like that's truly how, I shouldn't say truly, but it's a better estimation of how good that team is than the RPI was for that purpose. So right. as an organizational tool, the net is uh, a significant step up over the RPI. I think there's still, you know, a long way to go in the selection process to, get things more objective and to be able to evaluate, you know, the main thing that the, the committee struggles with is evaluating teams that have uh, a good record against 
not great competition. Um, you know, they're obviously very good at identifying quality wins and the teams that have the most quality wins and things like that. But teams that play weaker schedules that, you know, go 20 and 0 over a group of teams from like 150 to 300, like a team that does that is performing really well because even though you're supposed to beat all those teams, you know, there's always that, you know, five to 15% chance of an upset in any given game. And if you're not getting upset, uh, you're probably performing really well. So, um, that's probably the next, next issue to conquer. That may take years to get the <laughs> yeah. to understand that. But, uh, but if we keep well, talking about it, I think eventually it'll happen. <laughs> okay, it's your chance to set the record straight officially. Home court advantage, is it still a thing? <laughs> well, yeah, it's still a thing. Like, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. But uh, it's not a big of a deal. You know, last, <laughs> last week, home teams have been doing really well. Uh, but uh, the trend is, you know, subtly decreasing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a decreasing trend, basically. There's noise from year to year. This year, home, court te- home teams will do a little bit better than they did last year. But the general trend is for it to decrease. And uh, you know, we still have to get into the theories why. There's a lot of theories about that. But um, it still exists. still not easy. It's still harder <laughs> to win on the road than it is to win at home. And that'll always be the case. But it's not nearly as hard as it was, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. I wonder how much just general exposure for the players has changed that just because I look at it sometimes too, where um, I've talked to a couple you know, Kentucky fans and stuff. people coming into Rupp arena now have played big games before they've been on television. They've been in, whether it was, you know, big high school tournament that was televised or whatever other things, but the, the, you know, um, what's the right word for it? The intimidation of just playing, team with Kentucky on the front of their jerseys isn't the same as it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, and I wonder how much just general exposure and that these guys maybe aren't as starstruck to play in some of these bigger venues anymore, but that's just my riffing. But um, <laughs> the other big news for you recently, Jim Beheim, big fan of the work. <laughs> Where were you when you heard about coach Beheim wrongly accusing you of your stats? Yeah, I can't remember where I was, but uh, I, I saw a message on Twitter. A couple of people uh, were talking about his his post game press conference, and uh, yeah, I you know I never I really never thought I'd see the day where where Jim Beheim would would mention my name because I know he really <laughs> doesn't use my site or anything. So <laughs> so the fact that he even brought it up was uh, was pretty cool, and also not surprising that he brought it up in a completely uh, incorrect context. But uh, yeah. nonetheless, you know any. Any publicity is good publicity, I guess. Right. And it turns out it was funny. We were laughing, too, because uh, John Casillo – sorry, there's dogs everywhere. John Casillo, who runs our Syracuse site, who wrote the article in question using uh, the, the other stats that aren't yours, uh, was like, hey, Jim reads the site. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so <Yeah>. – um, <laughs> You do wonder, like, how that information got to him. Like, it's hard for me to imagine he's, you know – perusing <laughs> perusing yeah, and reading that stuff i feel like something got printed out and put on his desk or something probably highlighted and that's yeah that's how it ended up in his head and it was a i mean you go back and watch that press conference it's hilarious because he what he's saying like has nothing to do with his previous thought no and it's like he was this really bothered him and he had to get it off his dress and he was going to shoehorn it into that press conference no matter how he could it's amazing. Well, Ken, thank you very much. Where can the people find you? I know you're writing for The Athletic now, too. Writing for The Athletic. Uh, yeah, I'm writing for The Athletic, and I write uh, – oh, that's where I write. And uh, I write stupid stuff on Twitter as well. But uh, <laughs> people can follow me there, Ken Pomeroy, if they want want to read statistical information and be angered by my takes. 
that's what we're all on Twitter for, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, give him a follow, Ken Pomeroy. I'm sure most of you listening already do because again, Virginia fans love numbers and analytics at backup that they should have won a national championship last year. So thanks so much. And we'll chat with you soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Caroline. All right. That was great. Good job, Darns. Hey, thanks. Was that fun? <laughs> yeah, it was. We had a great time. He's he's he's, a, he's an interesting dude. So um, absolutely, and easy to talk to. And um, yeah, it's it's good. Like, there's so many intricacies. And like I said to him, like I, this season has been absolutely nuts. So I look at <laughs> I look at Minnesota or I you know Ohio State, and I'm like, I watched this team play. They don't look like they're better than so and so. Yeah, but I think he had some great um, explanations for all that stuff. So. Well, good stuff. Well, um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back uh, again to talk about uh, the upcoming ACC tournament. We got to do some more uh, lacrosse breakdowns for sure because uh, things are going pretty well there. Um, but until uh, next week, stay tuned to the blog for uh, your Miami game coverage and your senior night Louisville game coverage. Aww. Oh, I know. We'll miss them. Mm. Hopefully they go out with a W. We'll be back to talk about that W, hopefully. Until then, uh, for everybody streaking the line, I'm Pierce. Go Hoos. Hey.